0: you for each one that is here tonight. Lord, we ask that you would bless this service, that you would encourage us and strengthen us and warn us and teach us from your word tonight. Direct us as we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be the story of Goliath and his exaltation and and, uh, all of the things that led to David being lifted up and brought forth as a great leader, and then Saul's jealousy, and David literally vanished from the people of Israel and hiding in caves and and trying to stay alive, and yet God was using all of those things to make David into the man that he needed to be to be the king of Israel. And so let's primarily spend our time in uh, uh, the book of Second uh, Samuel. Now, what we have here is, as you know, is First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings uh, is basically uh, one uh, set of history, and then First and Second Chronicles covers uh, most of the same. Uh, material, just once sometimes the chronicles give us more information, other times we get more in the book of Samuel, but we have a, a funny story, not funny but strange, as Saul was in on the battlefield, David and his men, if you 'll remember, just had gotten back to Ziklag after rescuing all of their families and everything. Uh, from the Amalekites, and uh, their homes were burned. Uh, They had to uh, make do, and and making tents, and putting things up, and trying to sort out housekeeping. And in comes a guy, falls before David and says, I killed Saul. And uh, David immediately has him executed. Uh, That story is in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 1. But, if we read the last chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, we'll find out that Saul was there fighting in the battle, and when he saw things were going against him, it says that he uh, asked his armor-bearer to kill him, who would not, and then he tried to fall on his own sword and and tried to commit suicide. And uh, no one knows 100% for sure exactly how Saul died, But chances are Saul had either come very close to killing himself or had gotten the job done when this Amalekite comes along and tries to take credit hoping that he is somehow going to earn favor and position and a reward from King David. Now, we find out that David was not impressed with the fact that he had killed the king and immediately had him executed. And if you'll read carefully there, uh, David says, your blood be upon your own head for what you said. Uh, Who knows whether this Amalekite, as he was dying, said, I really didn't kill him. He was already dead. I was just trying to. And David said, too late. There's something wrong with a man who will do those things. And uh, David was still uh, very much concerned with the integrity of the kingship and the position there. And, well, might David be concerned about that because guess who was supposed to be the next king? David was. You know, sometimes we have to be... uh, we, we are not as careful about people who are in authority over us. I mean, this often happens with teenagers. I can't wait until I'm on my own, to I can do my own thing. And then all of a sudden, they are doing their own thing and paying their own bills. And their children are treating them much the same way they did their parents. And it's not a pleasant thing. You know, you never do wrong to give integrity and respect to positions of authority. And David was careful about that, not only when he was king, but long before he became king in his treatment of Saul. And uh, it only added to David's prestige and to David's kingship. And there's just a, a wonderful lesson to be learned there. You know, this sometimes happens in churches. A a young preacher will get in and he'll start thinking that he knows more than the pastor does. And he's this and that. And and listen, just as King David, you do not do well to disrespect authority and things that are because God has a plan there. You know, maybe we could... uh, shut the window in the nursery and turn on the air conditioner and that would stop the noise from coming in the windows. And so, uh, let's go to Second Samuel chapter 5. And David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah while the other tribes. And even here we see this split that will happen Uh, in the nation of Israel, how did Judah primarily, and later when under King Rehoboam, Benjamin, uh, the other tribe that had had a king, they separate themselves from the ten northern tribes and make two nations. We see this separation already uh, making its way into the history of Israel here as David reigns in Hebron. And in chapter 3, I'm sorry, verse 1, it says, Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And so we have God using this seven-year period. And, you know, you ever wonder why God always makes you wait? I mean, things just don't... David was supposed to be king. He knew that from Samuel's mouth before he was old enough to really understand all of the ramifications of it. He had been chased by Saul. He had fought many battles. He had slain Goliath. He he had behaved himself as a king for many years. And now he's king over one tribe. And the primary enemy the war is no longer the Philistines, he's fighting his own people. I mean, this is a pretty big mess that David is, is in and uh, part of the Israel, the majority of people are still following the house of Saul and of course we know that it was primarily the doings of Abner. And yet when Abner came to visit David, and this is chapter 3, how did David treat Abner? You know, Abner was the one that was causing the problems. He was the one that was leading the battles. If it had been up to Ishbosheth, David's—I mean, Saul's uh, son, eldest living son—we presume there hadn't, there wouldn't have been much of a war. It probably wouldn't have lasted very long. But with Abner propping him up and his leadership ability and his fighting the wars, this thing went on for seven years. And finally, Abner gets fed up with Ishbosheth and comes down and David treats him with respect and sends him away in peace. Now, David's only got one problem at this point. His name is Joab. Uh, Because during these wars... There was bitterness that was engendered, especially because of Joab's upstart, punkish brother who chased Abner and would have worn him out and tried to kill Abner. And Abner had no other thing left except to kill Joab's little brother. Now, Abner knew what was going to happen. I mean... Uh, I don't know if there were Italians in the Old Testament. They were all supposed to be Jews. But, I mean, Joab and his brothers, you messed with one, you messed with all of them. And somebody said, that's an Italian thing, but I I think that's a family thing, isn't it? Uh, I mean, that's the way most families are. And uh, I can't remember who it was the other day. Somebody was saying something, and they were picking on one of the kids, and all of a sudden, all of them starts gathering around and they said, whoa, wait a minute, I only wanted to bother one. And I said, no, you bother one, you bother them all. And there's a lot of them, amen? And, of course, it was all in good fun. Uh, but Joab wasn't having fun. He's going to get even. And uh, Joab killed Abner. And David mourns Abner and treats him with respect and, and buries him in a place of prominence in Jerusalem And the Bible tells us that David refused to eat meat as long as the sun was up. He was showing his respect and he was showing that he had no part and no desire in the death of Abner. And guess who was walking after uh, the buyer that took Abner's body to the funeral place? There was Joab. He was one of David's soldiers. David said, Oh, everybody, line up. We're going to give Abner a full military funeral. And here's Joab, the guy that murdered him. Now, why didn't David do something about Joab? Because of the family things, the Bible read in the Old Testament law. Somebody killed somebody. There was the avenger of blood that was supposed to take care of these things but i will i will tell you david is going to have problems because he refused to deal with sins in his kingdom and in his own life and in his son's life and so Ishbosheth was then murdered when they heard about Abner's death, and we have the kingdom translated to Saul. I mean, translated to David. Verse five, chapter five of 2 Samuel, verse one. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou was he that led us out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said unto thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over them. So all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron. And King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. And David was thirty years old when he began to reign. And he reigned forty years. Now if you read the next verse, it says he reigned Seven years and six months in Hebron instead of just seven years. And if you want to consider that a a mistake in your Bible, you got bigger problems than that. It was just that when the book of Chronicles was written, I mean the book of Kings was written much later, uh, they just chose to leave the six months out and that's all there is to that one. And so David is now anointed king. Now, what's David's first act as we follow through the, uh, chapter 5? is he sets up his throne in Jerusalem. I wonder if Goliath's skull was still there. Uh, that would have been quite a uh, uh, historical artifact of some kind. I'm sure somebody, if they had museums in those days, would have stuck it somewhere. Uh, But David had carried it up there after killing Goliath because David, even as a young man, had already planned to put his throne in Jerusalem. Now, I wonder who put that in David's heart. Because God had picked that place. And he had already sent Abraham there when he offered Isaac on Mount Moriah to that same place, the, the mountain on which Jerusalem was built. And God has called it Mount Zion in the Bible and, and has made that a special place. And David said, that's where we're going to go. And so David goes with his little ragtag band of soldiers up to Jerusalem and they say, well, unless you can heal the blind and make the lame walk, uh, you're never getting in here. They thought they were safe. And who came to the rescue? Joab. He was the guy that climbed up through the gutter, through the sewer, into the city, and started the overthrow, opened the gates, and David's men came in and said, "Uh, we didn't have to heal the blind and, and make the lame walk in order to make it into the city. All we needed was Joab. And uh, they, of course, took over the city and began to set things up. And we get to chapter 6, and David tries to bring the ark to Jerusalem. He's going to pitch a tent for it. Now, you have to remember, the tabernacle was supposed to be an intact unit. But we go all the way back to the days of Eli and the people of Israel had Hophni and Phinehas marched the ark out of the tabernacle. It was taken by the Philistines. It was kept here, and it was kept there. And they said, in the days of Saul, we sought not to the ark of God at all. It was just ignored. And David says, we're not going to ignore it. And yet, one of the most tragic stories in the Bible And David is going to teach us a lesson. You can have the right heart. You can be doing the right thing. And still incur God's judgment because you're doing it the wrong way. You know what? David apparently had heard the stories of how the ark had gotten where it was, being put on the cart. And so they went and they got a cart and they put the ark on the cart and they went driving. And I want to challenge you here. I wish we had time to go through the whole thing here. But when those oxen stumbled and the ark began to move and to jostle on the wagon, I want to challenge you, the ark could not be allowed to fall off the wagon. But in order to stop it, Uzzah died. You see, we put ourselves, David put himself in a situation here that somebody had to do something. What was going to happen? could not be allowed to happen under any circumstances. The mercy seat was one piece of solid gold. Now, you take a piece of solid gold, two feet, I mean, almost four feet wide and and two and a half or so feet uh, wide and four feet long, which was basically the size of the ark, and it was one piece of beaten gold with the wings that went up on high, and we don't know exactly what it looked like, But what would have happened if that had rolled off the ark onto the ground? It would have been damaged. There's no way the gold would not have bent and crumpled under its own weight if it was pure gold. What was in the ark was the tables of stone that God had written with his own finger. The second set that he gave to Moses... Uh, A bowl of manna and and Aaron's rod at this point uh, may have been removed from the ark. You just couldn't have this happen. And Uzzah died because he steadied the ark with his hand. He reached out and touched it. Someone said, well, couldn't God have kept the ark from falling? Uh, Let me ask you a question. What? in the world were they doing with the ark on the cart like the Philistines in the first place? David chides the Levites and the priests and says, you didn't prepare yourselves at first and that's why Uzzah died. But, don't you think David knew that the real reason Uzzah died is because he didn't take time to understand how to do it from God's Word right in the first place. In fact, if we look at David, the man after God's own heart, we're going to spend more time talking about the wrong things he did and the sins that he did than the good things that he did. That's how the story happens. The second time, David does it right. He brings the ark in and... uh, we uh, uh, put verse 14 of chapter 6 of 2 Samuel it says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with the linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark came of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So the second time, he does it right. He gets the ark into Jerusalem, but there's somebody watching. The daughter of Saul, the first king, she had certain ideas of what was proper and what was improper, and of course, Her father was the center of all of those ideas, and he had never made a big deal of the ark. And here David was jumping and leaping like a crazy man in front of the ark. He was just, someone said, well, David danced. Don't you think we ought to dance as Christians? Uh, Read the passage there. He wasn't dancing with anyone. He was just jumping up and down and praising the Lord. Now, if you get so excited about the Lord that you just got to jump up and down, uh, we would encourage you to do so. Just not in the middle of the church service, and certainly not while Brother Saravi is having a service downstairs. Amen? Uh, We wouldn't want your exuberance to uh, disrupt uh, the service downstairs, but uh, anybody who tries to get dancing out of this passage has got other problems. And yet, David, as he comes back from what he considers one of the greatest answers to prayer in his life, he now has the ark of God in Jerusalem. He has to deal with a wife that despised him, and in turn, wasn't near as concerned about the Lord as she was her own reputation. And the Bible says, we see the cap, uh, verse 23, the last verse, Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. And do you think that made David happy? I promise you didn't. It was another one of those tragi- tragedies in David's life that he had to deal with And he had to keep moving because guess what was coming now? The Philistines, when they heard that David had been anointed king over all of Israel and he was moving to set up his capital at Jerusalem. Uh, We go back a couple of chapters to chapter 5. In verse 17 it says, But when the Philistines heard that they anointed David king over all Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. And David heard of it and went down to the hold. And the Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephiam. And David was given victory. David had to fight a lot of battles. If we go to chapter 8, we'll find out that he fought the Syrians, that he set up uh, garrisons in Damascus. You know, that would solve a lot of problems in the Middle East, wouldn't it? No. As long as you have hatred, you're not going to solve problems in the Middle East. And David recovered his border at the Euphrates River. Now, uh, I probably should have come up and but made a picture of that, but if you want to understand the area that he controlled, it would have been all of what is now modern-day Israel, parts of Saudi Arabia, almost all of modern-day Jordan, uh, except the most southern parts of that country, parts of Saudi Arabia, a major portion uh, of, of Iraq, any part of Iraq that was south of the Euphrates River, and uh, all of modern-day Syria. Uh, this would have all been under David's control. In fact, if you can picture a world map in your mind, you have the continent of Africa down here. You go up. around the Mediterranean Sea and you have Israel here and then you have what is modern day Europe and Asia spreading out. It is the crossroads of the world. David controlled them. And yet I want to challenge you just to think about something. As David controlled all this property we never hear once of him trying to make a profit off of it like Solomon was going to. Solomon made affinity with the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and he had all the horse trade and the linen trade and everything going through the land of Israel. You know what? That was all still happening. There was no way for the horses or the linen to get where it was going unless it went through the land of Israel. David refused to make a profit off the world. That's something good for David. That's something that he did right. And David fought his wars. And and not only was he a great man of war, he was a man of peace. Because as soon as he was established in the kingdom, he remembered the promise he made to Jonathan. And he sent out his servants to find what was left of Saul's house. Most of Saul's house was owned by his servant. His sons were dead. We'll find later that there were other children and cousins and that, but he found Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, lame on both feet. And if you've ever heard Brother Clayton preach his sermon on Mephibosheth, ah, oh, talks about how that he took lame Mephibosheth out of poverty and gave him the, the lands and the possessions of his father, but Mephibosheth sat at the king's table. And uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'll just quote Brother Clayton. He said that big long tablecloth covered those lame legs. And when Mephibosheth sat at the table, he was as one of the king's own sons. Hey, that's a picture of God's love. And that was what David did. Amen. And so we have David being established in the kingdom. David reigned for about 40 years, and the best we can tell, Solomon was somewhere in the 18 to 20 something uh, age bracket when he became king. So that means about 20 years or so into David's reign, David had a turning point. Everybody knows what it is now, don't they? If you're familiar with your Bible, you see, the battles that were being fought that were critical to the survival of the nation had already been fought. The borders were secure. You know why David got into trouble? He was insulted by the king of Ammon. And he wasn't going to let that insult go by lightly. And so he sent Joab and the mighty men and finally all the armies of Israel. But you know, he knew that it wasn't that pressing of a battle, he could take a break. You know, we get into trouble, I believe, as Christians, more times when we try to get take a break from our Christianity, when we try to stop doing the things we're doing, should be doing, when we get out of the crisis mode, David was out of the crisis mode, he decided, hey, they don't really need me, I'm just going to take care of a few king things. And he ended up committing adultery with Bathsheba. David's life was never going to be the same. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God forgive sin? Did God forgive David's sin? Yes, He did. But we take from this point on through David's life, and it's going to be about sin. You see... This sin was David's choice. Nobody made him do it. Uh, We do not know if Bathsheba helped the situation any or tried to entice him. Uh, There was certainly some agreement with her. When the messengers knocked at the door, all she had to do was say no. But she didn't. But the responsibility was David's and David's alone. And now he's going to reap the benefits, we might say. You know, the Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. David had some good things in the field, but he was going to reap the results of this. His eldest son, Amnon, who had been with him from the Hebron days and from the days that he was Uh, being chased by King Saul, certainly someone who knew and understood life, the only thing that Amnon could think about was trying to satisfy his personal desires. And it ended up in horrible, horrible sin. We're not even going to take time to describe all the details. But because of his sin his half-brother Absalom said, you know what? I'm going to get even with you. And it took a while, but he planned and executed his brother. Now, I want you to see something. Amnon's sin was immorality. Why did not David deal with Amnon's immorality? Because God had forgiven him for his own immorality. Then Absalom murders Amnon. And why doesn't David execute Absalom for what he had done? If we'll read our Bibles, there were two reasons. One is, David had committed murder. And he didn't feel that he could deal with his son's murder because God had forgiven him for his murder. Let me tell you something. God does not give you a pass on dealing with other people's sins just because you did that. That's why we have the First Timothy chapter 3 when it talks about the office of a pastor. Uh, that he's got to be blameless, that he's got to not be divorced, that he's got to... Uh, control his family. Why? Because there's just something in human nature when we allow things in our lives, that we allow those things in other people's lives. And, And David here as the king felt that he could do nothing about his sons committing immorality and committing murder. And yet, sin never stops, does it? It always goes on. And as Absalom runs away, he is befriended by Joab and and Joab again talks to him. And why does this guy Joab keep coming up at critical times? I'll tell you what, when you don't deal with things properly, it's going to keep coming back. Joab was one of those gifts that just kept on giving And so he brought Absalom back. And Absalom then, if you're familiar with the story, rebels against his father and actually sits upon the throne in Jerusalem reigning as king while David and his men are hiding in tents and trying to stay alive. And uh, Absalom's greatest counselor was Ahithophel. That was far as we understand, Bathsheba's grandfather. Ahithophel knew what went on. And Ahithophel was going to get even. You know what happened? God stepped in and stopped Ahithophel from getting even. Joab shows up. Absalom is killed. And the rebellion ends. But no sooner had they marched back to Jerusalem than this fellow called Sheba, the son of of, uh, Bishri, of Benjamin, decides that he's going to be king. Now, I want you just to look at this. David chose to sin, and his two sons took David's uh, sins and chose to repeat them themselves. But then we have this guy named Sheba. Where did he get the idea that he could set up himself and be king? Well, maybe he got it from a guy named Absalom. What do you think? If it was good enough for Absalom, it's good enough for me. And he tries it and he loses his life. And then I want you to come to 2 Samuel chapter 21 if you would. 2 Samuel 21. We're going to try to just tie this all together. Here we are some 30, maybe 35 years after the days of Saul into the kingdom of David and God starts punishing Israel for Saul's sins. That's what happened here. There was a famine in the land year after year and David inquired of the Lord and said it was because of Saul's sins. Saul broke The covenant that Joshua and the elders of Israel had made with the Gibeonites as they entered the land of Egypt. What were the Gibeonites doing at this time? They were servants. They were slaves. And Saul had tried to kill them. Where were the Gibeonites going to end up in history? They were going to end up as the slaves of the temple. And we'll see them listed by genealogy and heritage in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, because it was no longer uh, felt that it was possible for them to maintain the temple and do all the things without the Gibeonites there. They had come to an important place of servitude, and God judges them, Israel, for Saul's sin. And so. David again in his kindness and his oath to Jonathan and his son uh, goes and gets all the cousins and uh, nephews and the grandsons and seven men lose their lives because of the sins of Saul. And finally they go and they get Saul's bones and Jonathan's that were buried after the battle and remove everything to the family sepulcher and it says the Lord was entreated of the land. But I want you to read with me one other passage here. Chapter 24, in verse 1 of the book of Second Samuel. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. Did you get that? Who was God upset about, upset with? God was upset with Israel. And so God allowed David, their king, to sin. And God's judgment was against Israel. And if you'll read the whole thing here, 70,000 men died in Israel because of David's sin of numbering the children of Israel. And finally, David ends up on Mount Moriah, uh, approximately the same place where Isaac was offered, and there he buys the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, who was still living in in the area of Jerusalem. There, and that is where the temple is going to be. Now we look at David. David chose to sin. His sons followed in his footsteps. David would sin and cause Uriah to die, but four of David's sons would die. The child born of adultery would die. Amnon died. Absalom died. And even after David was dead, Abijah, his oldest son, plotted against the king, and Solomon felt that he needed to put him to death as well, Adonijah, not Abijah, I'm sorry. Adonijah died, was killed by Solomon to establish himself in the kingdom. But that wasn't the only sins David had to put up with. Sheba was encouraged by the sins of David's sons. God comes in and loads on for Saul's sins. Why did God wait so long? And why did he judge David for what Saul had done? You know, some of those questions, it's impossible for us to really know the answers, but let me ask you a question. God judged Saul for his sin. And Jonathan, his son, and Ishbosheth, and all of that generation, all died because of the wrong things that Saul had done, and bringing the kingdom to David, there had to be another generation raised so that they could be judged for the sins that Saul had committed. God God keeps His records perfectly. And David never once questioned God about His judgment. He realized that there was things that had to be done, a price that had to be paid, and he took care of it. But this last one, God was angry at Israel, and so he moved David to sin. Does that mean David didn't have a hand in this? No, it doesn't. David did. David made a choice. But I'll tell you something. Something. David had a problem with sin because his nation and the people he was ruling wasn't careful about God. I don't know about you, but that makes me a little concerned for a place called America. How about you? Somebody said, why do we have a president like we have? And I'm sorry, if you like him, that's your business but I don't like trading Taliban prisoners for a deserter. Uh, just, and I know the jury's still out, but uh, I'm just not for that kind of stuff. Why do we have that kind of president? Because God's upset with America. That's why. Because American Christians living in America, just like King David's day, They got careless. You know what? There's sins of a lot of of different kinds. And every one of these sins affected David as the king and affected Israel as a nation. And yet, David was the man whom God says was after his own heart. Number one, that ought to teach us one thing. God is a patient, merciful, and forgiving God. Amen? Number two, we're going to have trouble with sin. But if you start it, it's going to get big. you got to deal with it now. Amen? And understand that You may be dealing with things that aren't your sins per se, but God's still going to expect you to deal with them just like He did with King David right here. He had to deal with the sins of Saul, his predecessor. He had to deal with the sins of Israel and watch God's judgment. I mean, you read the passage here. David was crying and said, God, kill me? Why are you judging Israel? Well, The writer, uh, the chronicler uh, who wrote 2 Samuel tells us that it was because God was upset with the nation. And so what we need to understand about King David, God did an awful lot in his life. David messed up an awful lot with his sin. But yet, Jesus is still, claims the title, as the son of David. Amen? God is merciful to us as sinners. Stop worrying about what's been done, what others have done. Let's just start serving God from this day forward, and all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you for the life of David, and Lord, we, we look and we see so many tragedies in the life of David and, and so much great sorrow. And we, we wonder and we, we say, why, why did it have to be this way? And yet, Lord, if we'll look in our own lives, there are sins that we need to deal with. There are sins that we're suffering that don't really belong to us, but they're still put on our plate to deal with. We ask that you would give us grace to be faithful so that we, as David, can say that when we pass from this life, we'll be with the Savior. Help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll just have the piano play. If you need to slip out and spend a few moments, the altar's open.